1: Fables, duct tape, and love. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program is Your Ticket, a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. My guest today is the multi-talented David Gal, and we're featuring his new YouTube series, The Lip Sync Fables, an adorable new show where kids tell classic fables while a crew of some of our best theater actors act them out while lip syncing their audio. Now, fans of your program, Is Your Ticket, may remember that David was an earlier guest of the podcast when I interviewed him about Where Has Tommy Flowers Gone, a Terrence McNally play in which he starred and produced, giving one of the most fleshed out and detailed performances I've had the pleasure of watching. By the way, that's episode number 37. Check it out. David is part of my Theater is for Everyone series where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard discuss their work selection and production processes while touching on their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. Please keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different. I'm super excited, so let's bring them on. Hi, David, and welcome back to Your Program is Your Ticket.
0: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Sean. It
1: is my pleasure uh, I think the last time we saw each other was at a, a play, Small World, New yes, York, isn't at it? the
0: public, right?
1: Yeah. Um, my husband, David, said that he remembers it being a seawall. There was like two plays together. Did you see a seawall with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal?
0: No, I wish. Huh. That sounds great. I okay. thought it was at the St. Joan the Joan of Arc musical.
1: Oh, oh okay. You're right. You know, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I did. See, I okay. know I saw it. I, I, I liked it. I thought it
0: was. I yeah. Liked I think it. that's, I think that's where it was. It was either before the show or at intermission. It was one of those things where I saw you and it took my brain a while. I was like, I know him. His name is Sean. Why do I know? Oh, right. We had an interview.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure your head was spinning. Cause you, uh, when we had our last interview or first interview um, it, it was for when you produced and performed in Terrence McNally's Where Has Tommy Flowers Gone?
0: Yes, and I remember, it, I mean, is this not a before and after of our world that we did that interview on stage in person and now here we are doing it virtual in two different countries?
1: I know, right? Well, just everyone out there, what he's referring to is that I'm in Toronto, Canada right now, Toronto, Ontario, so... Um... Uh, i still I still live in New York. I'll be back there soon. Um, it, it was I just remember seeing the show after we interviewed, and I was so impressed with your performance. i I really was. Um, so many actors, one of my biggest pet peeves of actors is when they, what I call, ride the script when they're performing. They just put some emotion into it and say the dialogue. and um, but I, I am so impressed when actors make a thousand decisions for their performance or a hundred decisions if it's one scene or whatever and it's it just adds such tremendous detail to the performance and it pulls the audience in they they start connecting they're like little hooks and I remember you did that wonderfully wonderfully oh
0: thank you I appreciate that 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 was my first time producing anything in new York and I'm, I'm very glad I didn't know how hard it was going to be or I would never have done it. On top of that, it's maybe the biggest part I've ever played in my life. Um, so it was an extremely challenging but artistically fulfilling experience. I, I, had a, I have very fond memories of that play.
1: I thought it was great. I really did. Did you ever get a chance to meet Terrence McNally or talk to him on email or? No,
0: he, he was supposed to come to the show and then something happened where he couldn't. Um, I did get word that he was very excited that that particular play had been remounted because he wrote it in like 1968, 1969. It's a very peculiar format and almost never done because it's so hard, um, so that I appreciated that he, it felt like he um, was touched that someone had found this, you know, relic of his that almost never gets done. So I did not get to meet him, but that was special to hear.
1: Right. Well, you'll be happy to know he is a very, very nice man. Uh, Dave, My David and I met him at like our LGBTQ writing symposium in Los Angeles, and he was very open and and warm. And I'm sure that that warmth that you felt um uh, from his uh, wanting, if he could, to come see the show is absolutely genuine from him. One of the coolest oh. celebrities I've ever met, and, and of course I'm, I'm a writer, so I
0: was like, oh. I know, he's the one. I've done. It actually, was fun because I did that show, um, in like the fall, and then in the spring, I was cast in Mothers and Sons, which he wrote in like 2016, and it was yeah. almost like before and after of him as a writer from 40 art and seeing stylistically how he had changed um but literally anything he's written i'm in love with he's the one so
1: yeah he's he's absolutely masterful i got a chance to see mothers and sons on broadway and it was so 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 good so beautiful Yeah. yeah okay well um let's start by having you introduce or reintroduce yourself to our listeners uh, tell us about your early experience, training, education as an actor, and some of your favorite roles thus far. Please.
0: So I'm David Gao. I, uh, I was on, what was it, episode 34,
1: 37?
0: 37. 37. Um, I studied acting at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. I graduated in 2016 and moved straight to New York. I've been here ever since. I have done some small parts in TV, in Madam Secretary, The Good Fight, John Glaser loves gear. Um, But my favorite things that I've been a part of are things that I've produced and things that are on stage. Theater's my first love. And um, after I did the first show that I produced in New York because I had previously produced a show in the Hollywood Fringe Festival and done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is should be a bucket list for every actor. It's just the most magical theater environment that exists on the planet. Um, and then I, the first show that I produced in New York was where Sami Flowers gone, which we just talked about. Right. And then in two thousand nineteen, right before the pandemic, I produced a show called a Bronco that actually I found in Scotland, that was part of the Fringe Festival, and it takes place originally it was done outside on a swing set because the whole set is a swing set and I watched the show outside and for seven years I thought how can I bring the show to New York and how can I do this inside a theater and we did it in 2019 and we built a swing set on stage at the Royal Family Productions Theater I think on 45th Street 43rd Street somewhere in Midtown um so My favorite theater experiences have been the ones that I have built from the ground up, where you pick the show, you get the rights you build the artistic team, you build the cast, you find the theater, you raise money. Everything about that, having your hand in every single decision, while it is excruciatingly more difficult, is the most rewarding. And then I've also done regional theater. I've done a couple of shows at Luna Stages in New Jersey. I'm about to go back to Shakespeare and Company on Saturday for the fifth time. I'm doing Angelo and Measure for Measure. And just trying to get back on my feet after the pandemic like everybody else. And so this project that we're about to talk about was sort of a product of the pandemic of I am starved to make something. And with the limitations of the pandemic, what can I make? And this is sort of what came from that.
1: I interviewed a gentleman who was a a uh, like a, a mentor and a coach to various actors, and he he I don't want to say he coined this, but the term that he used was "covid born." This was "covid born," and I thought that's smart because because COVID flipped a lot of things and and uh, really had us thinking outside of the box. And everybody did what they could because they wanted to be, they wanted to, their creative outlet that they had lost.
0: Totally. Um, I've been referring to this as, this is my COVID baby, basically. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of a few gifts and all the horribleness that I try to remind myself of that if not for the pandemic, this would not be happening. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. We still would rather that the pandemic never happened and would percent. Just... Yes. I go away but it, it, I think my my opinion was that it I think it affected as far as a business I think it affected theater the worst I really yeah. do uh it just because of the closeness of the audience the um I don't want to say lack of control but less control on stage uh, it's very difficult it was very difficult for people to do a a COVID directed show in the middle of it because everyone had to be you know socially distanced and masks and and all of that and uh i mean broadway shut down for almost two years i mean that's a multi-billion dollar business and i i swore in the beginning i was like oh no they won't shut down broadway it makes too much money i was i was i ever wrong
0: well Um, and it's crazy that i still feel like we are our industry is being hit the most by it not even in terms of, you know, people getting COVID, but my other friends that are not in the arts, if they are sick, if they have COVID, they work from home virtually. Right. Unless if you are in a guaranteed contract, you know, when I just did Luna Stages, I was filling in for an actor who got COVID and I did two out of the four weeks of the run and he didn't get paid, he was just home, you know, and, and we still, not only was their entire livelihood wiped, but now we, we are still one of the fields that is suffering because of it. Right,
1: yeah, um, uh, it's so absolutely common now to uh, read about the various shows that are in New York, and I'm sure this spreads all over the United States, who you know if you test if you go in and i believe they test actors every single time they walk in the theater and if you've got it then you're out of your show and understudies come in and cover your part so um that's that's becoming very very common and rightfully so i mean you know i I, I let people go home and recover and feel bad and not infect other people even though um for uh, the people out there there's um, like like you're masked most of the time when you're in rehearsal. Um, I actually saw a Funny Girl. Um, I went and saw Julie Banco in it, who's terrific, by the way. And uh, she was performing, and the understudy for Ramin Karimloo, um, he came out and literally was pulling a mask on stage off of his face, like he had forgotten about it. That's how ingrained. Oh, wow. it was.
0: Yeah. I mean, understudies are the heroes this year. I my friend Jason Fortbach is the understudy in Into the Woods right now, and he has now done Rapunzel's Prince, The Wolf, Cinderella's Prince, and did the Baker for opening night. And you know, historically, a lot of times understudies never got to sniff this stage, but yeah, they are saving productions by themselves right now. It's incredible.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a huge feat. Um Loved into the woods by the way please tell you know your friend who's the understudy that it it's a it, it's a terrific show it's a, like a revival but it's almost concert produced for those of you who are out there i would recommend it it's just it's amazing that the talent bench is so deep for that show it's crazy uh, it's
0: fantastic and and what's yes about the talent bench it's an interesting thing where that show is technically an ensemble but six of those parts alone are iconic leads on their own. And I love that because you know they did it at Encores where they pride themselves on two weeks rehearsals, kind of holding a script, very simple, bare bones. And it was so successful that when they transferred to Broadway, they really didn't pimp it out anymore. They're just sort of there telling the story and I love how simple it is. I actually think it does a service to this story because it's a masterpiece.
1: Oh, yeah, and honestly, I while well, I I uh, respect it for what it is and the fact that I do think it's a, a masterpiece piece of theater, I had not really cared for it. I, th- I thought it was a little too long before. Exact same length in this production, but it just flew by. I 100%. mean,
0: yeah,
1: and my husband loves that that musical, and he's sitting next to me. He cried like six times during it, and um, it's, it's just, I was... Absolutely thrilled. Um, So go see it if you can. (laughs) If there are tickets available. I think they're extending it.
0: I'm not mistaken. that's the rumor. That's the rumor. Yeah.
1: Very cool. All right. Uh, Tell us about the Lip Sync Fables. Talk about the creation and development of the series, please.
0: Okay. So I got this idea when I was was doing the Waverly Gallery at Shakespeare and Company and they had a new play festival and a six or seven year old girl had written a short play that she had all of these legendary shakespearean trained actors perform which you know the premise was like the princess and and the tiger or something like that and it started and it was hilarious and then as it kept going i actually got very moved by it and i was kind of looking around like is anyone else crying at this show because there was something so beautiful to see adult actors empower the vision of a child and I thought that is very interesting I'm compelled by that I would like to see more of that so I thought about the idea for a while and this was around the time where I had finished producing two shows in New York And like I had alluded to earlier, it just takes everything out of you. It's so challenging and everything is harder in New York. I mean, I've been at a theater where I've said to the theater, oh, we left um, a wrench up there, can we borrow a ladder? And they'll say, yeah, it's $50 for the hour. And you're like, can I just have a ladder for two minutes? So it's very, very taxing and difficult. And also in terms of fundraising, it's really challenging you know, I'm from Houston, Texas. And so most of my network when I need to fundraise is in Houston. And frankly, my pitch is just not very strong to go back to Houston and say, hey, I want to put on a show in New York that you're not going to see. And it's going to be a donation, not an investment, but please give me your money. That's just very challenging. And the distribution of it is not as much, you know, you have to be in New York, buy a ticket, go see the show. So I did think to myself, I want to challenge myself to produce something that is going to have more of a distribution to a larger market. I want to do something on camera. So then I thought, what if I paired these two thoughts together and I sit down with a bunch of kids who beforehand, I say, all you have to do is write an original bedtime story, fairy tale, whatever you want it to be. There are no rules. You can come up with whatever you want. And so I did it during the pandemic and I would lie in bed and I shot it for two days. I had 10 kids one day and 10 kids the second day. And we had two cameras, one on me, one on the kid. And when the kid would talk, depending on their comfortability, when the, the cam- we were rolling at them, I would put a mask over my face and then we switched the camera, mask on the kid. I would take mine off and I would March. say, read your story and... I'm just, you know, I'm gonna ask a bunch of annoying questions during it, just so we can have some banter back and forth. And it was magic. It was, you know, the stories were so unexpected. And that was the fun thing about it is that this is a project where I have no control over the script. I have no idea what they're gonna come in with, which made it so fun. And and then my banter with them was hilarious. Some of them thought it was funny. Some of them would push back, of like, can I just get through this? You know? <laughs> and that was even more funny when they would sort of lecture me of like, you need to listen. So that was really fun. Yeah. And so then I had, I think, 19 stories in total. And I thought, well, I can't produce 19 of these because this will be difficult. Let me start with the first six or seven. So I did all that in Houston. And then I came back to New York and I, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's a weird ask to people of like, hey, here's this story about a witch, a monkey, and a fairy. Do you want to come play one of them and dress up and lip sync to the kids? So I should explain to the premise of this. I also was inspired by Drunk History from Comedy Central, which is incredible. If you don't know it, you should watch it. But the premise is they get a historian or an expert on a topic, get them legitimately drunk. (laughs) And then they say, tell me about Harriet Tubman or Alexander... They say it and whatever they say, then they act out and produce with costumes and actors and the actors are lip syncing the inebriated dialogue. So that was my premise for this of we're going to get the kid's story and no matter what their delivery is, whatever the content of the story is, we're doing it. And I had actors agree to it. And I think part of it, I, I I was amazed how many people said yes. And I, Part of it might have been that they were interested in the project, but I think a lot of it was people were starved to make something and work with their friends. And that, I felt that energy a lot when we were shooting of, a lot of it felt like a reunion of, like, we're all on set together and our friends and we're doing this and we're all acknowledging we're being ridiculous and silly. But it was really special. I mean, it it came at a time where I feel like it seemed the most discouraging and hopeless of when we were going to make art again i love that my avenue back into it was through kids it's pretty special
1: well the this series is called theater is the theater is for everyone series um and i think that in your case it's theater is for everyone everywhere and in multiple mediums so so yes. i think that you're, you're really sort of expanding that out and and now i know that you did part of it in houston right you said yep. and then the other part of it in new york so you're using you're using all ages you're using different talent levels um i i, I think it's really cool one of the things i like about you is that you have a constant need to produce and um that just really enforces the drive that you have Uh, and that that's the number one thing that i tell people when they ask about you know what do you need to to make it to get seen to be at, at at just a level at a different level an upper level so to speak and um I just tell them, you have to have drive. You're going to hit so much rejection and difficulty that you, you know, you got to be like, okay, I'm going to take that hit and, and keep going. I myself have, have a two day pity party rule where if I get rejected or something, I just like, I whine to David and I eat junk food well more than I already do. And, you know, for a couple of days and, and then I get back on the horse. So what I found is that just, that just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. It's like, okay, well, they don't want me, but try again, some, you know, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah,
0: that's super healthy. I mean, I have, I also, I have, I think I actually might've talked about this last time we chatted, but I have an audition log for every audition I do. And so I've now sort of tricked my brain to thinking, even if I don't get it, I get to go add to the audition log. So it's always sort of a gift and motivation because I'm watching that number go up. And it's a weird thing that I've now... (laughs) I've found a way to just sort of secretly find a piece of joy, even when I get rejected.
1: Yeah. Well, and I always tell people, and this is just, I'm a writer. So I've had people, usually it's people auditioning for me um, or I'm part of the process, but I tell people, you know what, just because you may not get this part doesn't mean that you haven't been noticed. Um, And the people that are sitting at that table you're auditioning for, there's a reason and they want you to be good. And uh, um, there's been many times where I've had somebody audition for me, not perfect for the show, but I've remembered them later on. So it's just because it's a no, doesn't mean it's a complete no. It's just maybe no for now. And that's important to remember. I think.
0: Totally. And that's, that's actually another thing I love about producing is that I have so many friends that are brilliant and talented that I am watching them go to auditions and get discouraged and rejected alongside of me and so when I produce to be able to give my talented peers a gift of like let's come make this thing together Mm -hmm. is the ultimate reward I mean I think I had 34 actors 35 actors in this and a third of them I went to college with um, and, and also to your point about like drive and, and, making work yourself, people ask me a lot. So do you want to produce more than act? Are you a producer? Um, and actually, I don't even know that I identify as a producer or there's certain things about it that I don't know that I'm that great at. I just am obsessed with acting and performing. And I found producing is the fastest way to get that going. So I really do it as a means to act because I'm super impatient and I don't like sitting still. So that's another gift that producing and making your own work is, is yes, I'm auditioning, but why wait? Just go make something yourself. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: I hear that so often, David. I hear people say, nobody would, would give me a part or would would hire me um so i just went went and created something for myself and i think that's really smart i really do is that do you is that the kind of advice that you give people when they're asking for your thoughts about it
0: yes i have found i think each time i've done it i've learned something and become more intentional the next time so the first time i did it where Tommy flowers gone i thought let me pick a show i can get the rights to that's a really good showcase for me as an actor. And then the next time I did it, I thought a little bit more with a marketing hat on of, let me try to get a cast that will bring in an audience and let me try to get a show that's a little bit more current and up to date and maybe more appealing. So, you know, the McNally play is two and a half hours long and from the sixties. The next one I did, Decade as a Bronco, was about an hour 15 and a little bit more current. And there's so many little things to think about of the location and what time you're doing the show. And, you know, you just have to, It's I so I had it from the lens of not just what do I want to do as an actor, but also what is going to be appealing to the audience where I can even get people to come see the show. And... Um, and so that was part of it for this project, but also it's a project that, you know, if I myself am not excited about it, then what's the point? No one else is gonna be excited about it. It has to be something that I'm proud of and I'm thrilled about so that I'm motivated to really promote the project. Um, so it's interesting. I'm curious to see when this ends and the smoke is cleared, what my big takeaway from this one will be. But also the best thing, the best way to learn how to produce is just do it because you learn by doing it. And I feel like I've gotten better and wiser and more creative each time I've done it.
1: Definitely. I mean, whenever I go do a play or a production, um, it, uh, I'm, I'm always thinking, even if it's not, you know, gangbusters successful, if you focus on really learning like paying attention, having an open mind, and able to hear your criticism, um, it, it it it's it's helpful to do that. Okay, well, what did I what did I learn from this that I can take to the next? And if you do that, you're constantly building the blocks of I think a really good career, um, because you know better, and you're you're teachable, even when it's tough. <laughs>
0: Yes. And, it, and it's harder to do that, I think, when you produce because it's your baby. So you have the thinnest skin about it. However, yeah. it's the most valuable way to move on and be successful the next time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Indeed. Um, you know, I hope that you stand back and objectively look at your success. I know you're in it. So it's constantly like the processes and what's the next step and all of that. But I am very impressed by by the way you work and the way that you talk. And I hope you give yourself a chance to go, wow, look how far I've come. And um, because it's, it's pretty dazzling to me. It is. I I am impressed by, I'm like, I'm I'm humbled by you and your work ethic.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It, I'm most proud, again, I, I said this, but I'm most proud when it's a concept I came up with. I mean, to think like, if I can find text messages from, to friends in 2019, 2020 of what if we did this for a web series and now the web series is coming out today is pretty special to me. So yeah, I am proud of it. I, I mean, again, I'm more proud of the stuff that I've made than anything that I audition and book for. Cause then you're just a piece of a puzzle which is still wonderful and I love doing it, but this is, you know, this would not exist if not for me. And so those are the ones that I am the most proud of. Wow. That's very, very
1: cool. Okay. I want to keep talking about the lip sync babels but I have two, two sort of sidebar questions for you. Okay. Um, what does the audition log consist of? I'm cu- curious about that.
0: Okay, so I, I have, I'm, I'm, going, I'm picturing it in my head because they're all the columns. So yes. it, it's, it's who is part of the project and I have every single name of producer, director, writer, casting assistant, casting director, everybody, where the project is, what was it? Was it a tape? Was it live? How many sides? Um, then my, my sort of the base facts of it, sent in, never heard back, or it sent in, got a callback, they liked it, but blah, 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 blah. Then I have the outcome, whatever that is, callback, didn't get it. And then I have additional thoughts where I might say, I, I actually thought I did a really good job in this and I coached with someone before and I was excited about it, but it didn't go whatever. Or I might say, yeah, this was, I did this audition when I was in tech for another show and I felt really rushed or I learned from this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, a, I mean, I don't journal. I should, but I don't. But this is the closest version of journaling I have because I can go back and look at my first audition in 2016 and I can say exactly who was in the room what I thought what they said and then I have six years of connections on there that then I can invite to shows or I can remember next time I go on an audition I shouldn't say nice to meet you because we did meet you know it's just such a good um stabilizing thing for me and then I it makes my auditions feel like trophies sort of even if I don't book them um and then when i hit a hundred mark i throw myself a little party and my party maybe i go buy ice cream or something but we just celebrated <laughs> our 300th like a month ago
1: wow jeez okay i love that that your party is like a daily occurrence for me cuz i eat ice cream almost every day and it shows no i don't yes i do who am i kidding jeez. good for you yeah right <laughs> um, and then my Okay, my next question is kind of stupid, but it's about Houston. And it's not about theater, but I want to know if somebody else has this feeling. Um, is it me? Because I, I trained in Houston for a restaurant job that I had, God, probably 25 years ago. And uh, it was for a restaurant called Bira Paredes. Are you familiar with that restaurant?
0: Uh, yes. I don't yeah. think I've been there, but I know it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, I trained to be a manager uh, for a store in... Southern California, where I lived up until I was 50. And um, they sent me out there to train there. One of the things that I realized as I was driving through Houston is that it looks like a big bullseye because they're, they call them the loops, but there are big looping freeways, like two or three that circle around the city and sort of like go together into like a bullseye. And I know this because I got lost on them. I'm not very, I'm horrible with directions, but I just remember driving around one and not knowing where I was. Do you, th- do you agree with that assessment?
0: A hundred percent. And when I was a kid, I used to call it like a spaghetti bowl. And at one point there's like four that go over each other. But no, that's very accurate. And actually Houston locals will identify where someone lives by saying, do they live in or out of the loop? Like that is a marker for geography, oh, but in a bullseye, I haven't heard that, but that's spot on. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that from you and copyright it to Houston people because that's absolutely.
1: <laughs> you have my permission. That was just an, an observation I had. Again, mostly
0: because I I got lost a lot there. I, I get still lost get lost every time I go home, and I was born there, so <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's funny. Houston's nice, though. I really like it. It's very, very nice. Uh, uh neighborhood and lo- lots of uh, uh, artistry and creativity. I, my, one of my uh, uh, favorite Texas cities for sure. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Go ahead. Say. Please continue. No, I, I mean,
0: it's just an interesting thing of I didn't, you know, I I didn't my perspective on it when I was a kid versus when I go back and visit it now. I think it's technically now the most diverse city in the whole country. Um, and it's really the theater scene is blossom. I it's, it's a great city. I think it is it is in opposite direction of um, as Texas becomes maybe more conservative, Houston is becoming more liberal and it's interesting how the disparity is growing more and more as time goes on.
1: Wow, you're I didn't, I didn't realize this, but again, it's the last time I was there. Uh, reality bites was a new movie in the theaters and Lisa Lope was singing stay all over the radio. That's what I remember from it. And you were probably what? Three, four years old. So Maybe. They did, that's, why, that's why it's in my, I'm sure time. it's different now. Right? right. Indeed. Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, Tell us about the creative team and ensemble of the Lip Sync Fables. Who do you have working with you?
0: Okay, I'm so excited to talk about this because I love this group so, so much. So the first part of this I did in Houston because I just know more families there and I had more reach of meeting kids in Houston, but also my cousin, Jack Brain, is a brilliant young filmmaker and we sort of have like a uh, you scratch my back i'll scratch yours where i did a short film of his and so he filmed this and then i just did a feature film of his so we were kind of and he'll edit the green screen for one of my episodes so he's amazing and so i i thought for the houston part with the children that will be executed great by him knock it out in two days great Then I came uh, back to New York and Mariah Pepper Berkowitz, who is my right-hand lady, she helped me produce both my um, theatrical shows in New York. And I will not produce anything without her. She's fantastic. I said, I have this idea and she said, great. And then our other friend, Katie Alien, who I went to school with helped me. So the three of us kind of tackled this And then when I started casting it, it's funny because, you know, again, I'm going off the script of the kids. So I sort of have permission to do anything. If it's a fox, a fox can literally be anyone. So I did have the luxury of, you know, there are certain people that I would love to work with, but when I'm producing a theatrical play, can't give me maybe a four week rehearsal and four week run time commitment. Whereas with this, if I say, meet at this spot and I'll get you out in three hours, it opens up the doors to a lot of people. And this cast is phenomenal. I think we have eight people with Broadway credits. Um, We have Maya Abney, who is one of the fighters in the Black Panther Marvel movies, who's doing stunts and quarterstaff fighting in this. We have Catherine Cullen, who just released a Netflix special, The Twist, She's Gorgeous. We have Brian Muller, who's on a Bridge Tunnel TV show. Billy Cohen, who's on the national tour, The Band's Visits. Kennedy Kanagawa is in the woods right now. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's an embarrassment of riches. And what was fun is then I got to cater to their skill set a little bit. So if they needed dancers, I got J.J. Neiman and Samaria Nixon-Fleming, who are brilliant, Dancers, he's in Book of Mormon on Broadway right now. Um, it just—it was—it was an endless possibility because of the world that kids created and because of the abilities of my friends. That again, I couldn't necessarily get for eight weeks, but all of them wanted to make something, and I could get them for two or three hours, and it was fantastic. I can't wait for people to see everything they're doing. And then the filming in New York part was fun because. We mainly filmed it outside unless it was raining. We had to do a plan B once, but we're doing it in different parks here in New York. We don't have to record sound because we're just using the audio from the kids. Mm -hmm. So filming it was me saying action, Tomas, um, who was our brilliant New York cameraman, filming it, and then someone holding a speaker under the actor with the kid's voice, and the actor just lip syncing to what the kids are saying. And it was hilarious. I mean, we... It was such a laid back set, but also it was funny watching people take it so seriously and being professional while dressed up like a fairy and mm-hmm. getting in a fight with a wand, you know? So in terms of a collection of talent, again, 34 actors, I've never worked with so many talented people with so much ability and reach. I don't know that I ever will, but this, this, specific format lended itself to that I got to have my dream cast come in and do it and it was I still can't believe it I mean I watched the trailer and I'm like how did I get all of these people it's it's just so exciting it was so much fun
1: well I watched the trailer as well and I think there there was a trailer specific to episode one that came out today if I'm not mistaken
0: I last night I posted the teaser for episode one that's coming today
1: yeah (laughs) and it is it looks like such a fun series and very very professionally done Um, funny the kids that you have on there are great and I love that they're so naturally themselves that's the great thing about kids it's like like you had said you know they'll they'll come back at you if if they think they can or if they should. And, yeah, and I,
0: well, what was funny, sorry to cut you off, is that the actress no. for episode one, she came in and, you know, her mom's there. She has her headshot. She's ready to go. She's like made this gorgeous um, script for herself, which she didn't need to You know, some of the kids came and memorized. Some just had a print sheet of paper. Hers was like perfectly stapled and she drew pictures. And I'm like, oh, this is clearly not her first time doing something. And I found out she plays young black widow on a Hawkeye. So I'm like, oh, you you're doing us a favor by showing up right now. She was like young Scarlett Johansson. So that's the actress in the first episode. She's a total pro.
1: Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. Now, did are all of the fables written by the kids or do you do any like do you bring in any like classic fables that are pre-written or
0: how does that? it original. They're all they're all original. I did say to some of the parents, "Would do you are because some of them wanted to be a part of it but weren't necessarily able to write something." And so right. I said, "Do you do you want to write your own, or do you want mom to write one, or do you want us to give you one?" And for the most part, they read their own, and those are the best ones. But in rare cases, for really young ones, we, they would say, "Could you have a story for us?" And I would have my brother write one because I was like I can't I don't want my my voice or narrative in this and I want to be actually surprised from the reading it to me um but what's I mean again the original content stories of the kids were the best ones but even the ones that my siblings wrote their delivery of it is still magic because coming from them it's just it's it it obviously hits different than when a 30 year old is reading it so it really worked any any way that it was done, but the best ones were the original stories, and those were the ones that I picked for the series.
1: Okay, so every every story thus far is creatively new. Where I think you...
0: all, five out of six. Yes, five out of six. Okay.
1: Wow, that's that's great. Yeah, um, it's it's. Uh, I, I love the trailers. I thought they were hilarious i thought they were adorable everyone looks like they're having a great time um and that's that's got to be so wonderful to see for you that this vision is is not just going to be successful because i know it will be successful um but it's creating happiness in in people and right now it's creating happiness in the people because it's not released yet but and the people that did that worked for you that actually executed the cast and the crew it it looks like they had a great time and that i think is a spirit that translates into uh, what i saw at least it looked like they were having so much fun and um including you laying in bed in your pajamas (laughs) holding yes
0: right (laughs) and what what a comfortable costume My day consisted of changing pajamas for each kid, but besides that, lying in bed and just listening to kids be entertaining. It was a good day.
1: (laughs) Now, did you direct all of the episodes yourself, or did you bring in other directors to, or the different directors for different parts?
0: I directed all of the stuff we did in New York where we came to life, um, where we brought the stories to life. With the kids, they actually really didn't need direction. I would just say okay, we're going to read it one time and then we'll do it one more time and I'll ask you questions. Um, but the New York stuff, I actually um, reached out to someone to direct it. But the more and more I was prepping for the shoot in New York, once we're bringing the stories to life, the more I was like, it doesn't really need a full-blown director because so much the kids have already given us. And I already have such a clear vision in my head of what I want to do with these that I just said to them, I think I, I just need to do this myself. And I'm glad that I did because I think because I got first access to the stories from the kids and then I didn't film it until four or five months later, the stories were just sort of marinating in my head with images that I think I had to be the one to execute it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, the, the hilarious part, and I wish we'd been filming all of this, is, you know, I have a hat on and I'm trying to be a serious director. And I am saying to, you know, now, when you put the cheeseburger on your head as the monkey, can you try to squat? You know, just the direction is ridiculous. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's nothing too deep. But everyone was so ready to play, which made it so much fun. No one was like, this is silly. Why are you having me do this? They just, they were very happy to be ridiculous, and in public, I might add. I mean, people would walk by as I would have a princess, a drag queen princess sprinting across a bridge, you know? <laughs> and everyone was just, this is what we're doing. Uh,
1: I do have to say that I have seen stuff like that in New York. Um, anyway, <laughs>
0: but I was gonna so say, New, York New York is a York, great people place. People like, this is just a Tuesday for us. This is not exactly
1: no joke (laughs) um talk about the we've talked about the production process uh a little bit um what is it like preparing to what was it like preparing the the show it's hard it's, it's it's a hard question to ask because there were two two separate systems of preparation it feels like Right. Uh, like your preparation for being with the kids and then with uh, the adult uh, theater actors. Um, <laughs> yeah. What were their similarities and differences?
0: The, the shoot with the kids was interesting because I've never worked with kids before, and I really wanted to do everything the correct way. So... Um, I looked into waivers. You have to have the parents sign. And I would be very transparent. This is exactly what's going to happen. The parent was in the room the whole time. Right. And I reached out to a couple family friends. But for the most part, I got really lucky. Of, I emailed a former director of mine that now works with Children's Theater. And I was like, do you have any kids that would be interested? And she was like, I have 20. I mean, it's... <laughs> great and it was kids that were just dying to perform and be on camera so that that was more just learning the appropriate way to go about working with kids on camera the new york shoot was interesting because i was determined not to fundraise at all for this project because fundraising is so challenging and i just wanted to see what what happened if i produced something and i did it with um duct tape and love and so I found... Uh,
1: I'm writing that uh, down. Duct tape yeah. and love.
0: <laughs> I actually just stole that from Todd Flaherty who wrote, produced, directed, acted, and edited a feature film that is at Outfist right now that I was in that's brilliant. And he did the whole thing in 17 days for twenty thousand dollars It's incredible. And it's a brilliant film. Everyone stay tuned for Chrissy Judy. Um, what is it called?
1: So he- I'm sorry. Say that again. Chr-
0: Chrissy Judy.
1: Chrissy, Judy?
0: Mm-hmm. And just for Mirta Outfest, it's incredible. Um, so I didn't want to spend money on this, so I found Tomas, who is a brilliant DP who had his own equipment, and I said, again, shoestring budget, can I give you a stipend to film two episodes in one day? And we'll just knock it out. And he said yes. And so we filmed all of this in three days, two episodes each day, which is wild. And then it then it goes into um location scouting and if it's in the park, you have to get permission from certain parks to film there. Or one day we had a whole park shoot and it said it was gonna rain. So then we did a plan B of where can I go in studio to do it in front of a green screen and then we'll just figure it out. And it's actually one of the better ones, I think. Wow. And and then you know, lots of trips to Party City to get costumes. And I said actress. <laughs> Please don't rip the tag off because this is going right back tomorrow. Right. And, And then just, you know, I had never really had to do a shot list before. And I would never show anyone publicly the shot list I did because it is not standard shot list professional level at all. But that was fun to learn and play with. And then the most fun part was just the casting part of I have so many talented friends that I had always wanted to work with and i haven't gotten to and and trying to write them a formal email of like will you please come and play princess number two who can transform into a turtle and a panther and them saying yes and then me saying what do you have in your closet and us just piecing it together and then the the tricky part was editing it not with money and so just doing it Uh, you know that took a long time to do um but it, it almost was better because then if I'm there, it's not, I'm sending the material to an editor and they're sending it back to me when I have such a clear, specific image of exactly what I want, where I'm just sending them notes back and forth for months, but being mm-hmm. right at the computer actually ended up sort of being a gift. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the location scouting, scheduling, at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. And somehow trying to squeeze in two completely different episodes in one day was a challenge, but it was really fun.
1: Now, would you say that the editing part was the biggest, most unexpected challenge you had to deal with while producing the series?
0: No question. I mean, I wrapped filming with the New York actors last summer. And, or maybe September. And then I thought I was going to do eight episodes. So I was going to do one more day of filming, but then I was out of time working. And so then I, it got to about February, March, where I thought, I don't want to put this off anymore. Six is good enough. And maybe we'll do a season two if people like it. And so I'd say from March until June, I've been editing it. And it's not a skill set. I mean, I had help, but it's not a skill set that I've ever flexed before, but it's now something I actually have found I love doing and I feel comfortable doing it. So, but no question, that was the hardest was tedious part.
1: Wow. Um, I know that editing is very, very difficult and it got as, as, from the stuff I had to to put together over COVID, it got infinitely more difficult because oftentimes there's three different people in three different parts of the country who were contributing uh, various things. I remember um, I, uh, we were recording five songs from my uh, musical running. It's called running a, a new musical and imagine that. And I, we had the singers singing to something called a a click track and some very very light piano and we had to send that to an engineer who fortunately for the click track was able to lay that down and then we had to i mean it was just it's so much that i actually because i was part of it made an actual video that's on am running a new musical uh, page? It's, it's really interesting. Oh,
0: <laughs> it's, pretty, it's so fun.
1: I had yeah, no idea. It'd be that I had, hard.
0: <laughs> I had a friend in Seattle who I went to college with write a jingle for it. And then I had my cousin in Houston doing the green screen. And then I'm editing it here in New York. But I'm having someone sending me sound effects. And I'm using another person who I did a photo shoot with for the cover. It's so many moving pieces, which is why it's so important to have a good tribe of artists that you love and trust. I use the same photographer for everything. I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, once you find someone that you like working with and is talented, lock them in and, and employ them for life. Because it's right. so beneficial to have a tribe that you, of artists that you trust and you like making stuff with.
1: I totally agree. Uh, we, we use the same engineer in recording all of our music but that's usually in Chicago with the actors being there and singing the music right there. But yeah, um, yeah I, yeah. Take care of, take care of all your people if you can, but really uh, hold, hold those technicians close. And I mean, yeah. I, I've, I work around typically his schedule. If we need to do something, we know that that's the person we want because they also know your style. They know your imprint. They know your, your writer's voice because they've done other work with you. So it's a lot less setting up and explaining and all of that because they they get it. So I I think that's an excellent point. I really
0: do. Yeah. It's artistic developed shorthand that you have with people. It's great.
1: There you go. That's that's how I should have said it. That's how I <laughs> no, should have just- said <laughs> No, no, no. Art I think I like the artistic shorthand way better than I said. So I think that thank thank you for that. I'm gonna Take I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> artistic shorthand. That's great that's uh uh, just written under here under duct tape and love and chrissy judy right
0: let's see (laughs) let's see if we can get a third one before the interview i'll I'll do my best yeah
1: i'm counting on you we're coming down to
0: i'll I'll see what i can come up with
1: we're coming down to the uh the, the final uh part of the interview here um now i know that um a lot of people when COVID-19, unfortunately, came into play. We had the shutdown. A lot of people started using forms of media that surprised them. Uh, people that I interviewed for my Act 2 Places series, which is a series of interviews that um, I did with, pe- with artistic directors and actors and that just to explain how they reacted and then got through, start, still getting through um, the pandemic. Um, They said that they opened their minds a lot to various forms of media that they never ever thought that they would use. Um, Did you, which I think in a way sort of like gave a lot of people who maybe had that in the back of their mind permission to Uh, use different medias and and a lot of them are saying you know we we became trained in this stuff and now we intend to use a lot of it in uh our our live productions um is do you does that resonate with you did you ever feel that way
0: yeah I feel like in general I've been playing catch up with media and I because I have always felt late to the game and it doesn't sort of um, I'm, I don't pick it up really quickly. I mean, I think I got an Instagram when I was producing Where Tommy Flowers Gone because everyone was telling me you have to promote this show. Um, and I, and the same thing for this project. Someone said you have to get a TikTok so you can promote this show. So I think I'm posting my first TikTok ever today um, for the sake of promoting the show. But it's interesting because I went to a very classical theater school training that I already know since I graduated six years ago, the change, the change in the education has tried to catch up to more modern times where they're teaching more self-tapes and more media stuff and how to make your own stuff. Cause it is a huge part. I'm not just promoting yourself, but creating art, like you said. And I think if artists turn, if old school artists turn their nose up to it, they are doing a disservice to themselves because that is, totally the direction that art is going in and i while again it doesn't come naturally to me it does help promote and there is a lot of valuable artistic content that is being made so i'm still learning it i mean i've never even really had a youtube channel before this so i'm i had my friend tyler martin who's brilliant at it you like here are the tags here's the audiences you need to hit Here's the timing that you you know. There's so much that I'm learning. That again, you know, I might look back on this and think I did it all wrong, and I'll be ready for the next one. But it is really important. We all have to play the game if we want to keep up with everybody.
1: Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I I hear you. I sometimes think I don't really have time to run six different social media accounts it's uh, so every so once. Much- a- so I mean, if you're if you're trying to to be creative and use a creative mind to do creative projects um i don't know how much time sometimes i have in between like doing this um which i've had a long time to develop and put on various social medias and my writing it it sometimes my mind can't really stretch that far and that and i'm like 57 i'm three years away from 60 so you grew up with this, I did not. So it's right. That's my disadvantage as well.
0: I know. It, I mean, for this, I was like, okay, so I'll just put it on YouTube and people will say, okay, but on Facebook, you should do this. And on Instagram, you need to do this differently. And then you need to get a TikTok. And then on YouTube, you should do this. And this. I mean, it's so much that I can't do it all by myself. I sort of have like a, uh, a handler for me for each different platform that's coaching me on how to do this it's a lot and we'll see i don't know how i will do it a lot of these but i'm gonna try i'm gonna try
1: yeah lucky you usually it's me trying to figure it out i'll be in uh like zoom meetings for broadway podcast network where this podcast is um featured and uh well they'll have the uh, social media people on and uh and, and like the influencer people on and they'll be like okay do this and this and this and you should see the look on my face it's like right.
0: oh my god how
1: right am I supposed to?
0: yeah
1: right so you know we do what we can right
0: Totally, and the,
1: yeah, and I'm the important try. thing is
0: that, this is my first venture into it so we'll see how it goes
1: right well you know what i think the priority for the artist is to make the best product that's the number one priority because if you have a crappy product you can put it all over the all over the internet and it's still a crappy product so there needs to be that that standard of doing the best that you possibly can so i feel you david gal i really do i feel you um if you could have three wishes for it the lip sync fables what would they be
0: okay first one would be just that we get the word out there that we get viewers, subscribers, maybe enough traction that we get a season two, you know, sort of just the generic, I hope that people go watch it. Second one is I hope people appreciate the level of talent that is in this. I mean, some of the things the actors are doing has nothing to do with me or the kids. It's just their own brilliance. And I hope that's not lost on people. And I think the third thing is, and maybe I'm just sappy and it's just gonna be me, but I hope that beyond the funniness that is in this, I hope people see the merit and value in elevating children's stories and giving kids stories a voice by talented adults, I think is incredible. And I am very moved by that. And so I hope people also recognize this isn't done a lot. And it's nice. This platform, I hope, exists to show, like, in this instance, kids' voices were not ignored and they were elevated. And I think that's very special, which is why I made this. And I hope people recognize the heart in that as well. Uh,
1: Those, I think, are absolutely attainable. Uh, wishes uh, in my opinion just from what I've seen I think it's going to be a very very successful series I think you will have a season two that's just me predicting Um, and I I'm hearing an awful lot about how much people are enjoying working with uh, uh, the child actors bringing them in and, and that element and how it just just Gives whatever the project is such a dynamic feel to it, and a real um, uh, uh, a feeling of of uh, intimacy, reality. I mean, again, like I said, kids will just say whatever they want (laughs) usually. So you know, and I and I think people connect to that, and I can just see people like giggling over some. I know I was when I was watching um, your trailers. So I I think that those are all great wonderful wonderful uh goals and i I think that for sure you've got those okay Um, i do want to say that i think that we actually have hit three great phrases because i wrote down covid baby
0: (laughs) oh that's right okay we got three
1: we got covid baby and uh what else do we have we have in love and artistic shorthand
0: there we go. My work here is done, ladies and gentlemen.
1: We can all sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's really the only reason I came on here was to, pr- to promote three catchphrases. Right.
1: <laughs> Why not? Yeah. You are, you are very multi-talented. Um, <laughs> uh, pl- before we go, please tell our audience where and how they can access the Lip Sync Fables.
0: So it's all on YouTube. Just type in the Lip Sync Fables. There is a YouTube channel under that name. If you subscribe to it, every single time an episode gets posted, you will get notified. They're gonna come out every Thursday for the next six weeks. Oh, and I should say this. I also um, picked a children's children's book author of the week that I featured in each episode. So the first one that's coming out in the episode today is Jill Twist. And we're promoting the book, as Someone New. But also Jill Twist was the one who wrote the Marlon Bundo book for John Oliver about Mike Pence's bunny and she's brilliant so I had that for each episode um and so then after the six episodes air I'll air one-on-one interviews with the authors and talking about their book and their process um but so yes on YouTube they'll be there every Thursday and also I'm David F Gow on Instagram and I'll be posting about the show and um how to see more
1: very cool. And I love that you're keeping it simple. That's very, very cool. I have so many accounts that I'm, I'm like, I, they're just out there. So. Yeah. yeah, it is. So uh,
0: yeah, just go to listening. YouTube and find us and it'll all be there.
1: Great. And subscribe.
0: And subscribe, yeah. please. I mean, one for yourself, so you know, when videos come, but also it really is important of, you know, the life of this show is to just to get momentum on the show. So we would really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely.
1: And comment and put nice comments on there and
0: all that stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. David Gao, it has absolutely been a complete pleasure to interview you again. And I think this project is reaches out to so many factions of performers, uh, like I said, media. Um, and, and I think it's, it's going to be a huge hit for you. And uh, I, I can't wait to uh, to watch the first episode, if it's if it's anything as funny and cool as um, as the trailers, I, I think that I think you're really onto something here and and I appreciate you being on this series. Uh, you are a such a mega talent in my opinion, and um, I'm sure that's shared with a lot of other people. And um, you know, thank you, thank you for being on on the show. You were you're marvelous.
0: Thank you so much. This has been such a fun reunion. I love chatting with you. I will come on anytime. You can always talk shop. I love doing this with you.
1: Well, thank you. That's very, very cool. Um, uh, Once again, David, thank you for returning to the show. You've been uh, outstanding. And I wish you many broken legs for all the wonderful work you do in the future. Thanks, David. Thank you. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to my guest, actor, producer, David Gal. Do check out the Lip Sync Fables on YouTube. You can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash YPIYT. Again, that's BPN.fm slash YPIYT. Your Program is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at Facebook.com, your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. Instagram and YouTube at your program is your ticket. iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocketcasts Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform, Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. A quick note of thanks to the Communicator Awards for honoring your program issue ticket with four awards, an award of excellence for individual episodes in the arts and culture category, and three awards of distinction, two for my Act Two Places series, one in the entertainment category, and one in the educational category, and one for me in the features host category. Isn't that nice? I'm extremely grateful for the honor, and I owe it all to my wonderful guests, listeners, and my Broadway Podcast Network family. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, and remember, theater is for everyone.